Are you a professional optimized business? Time to look at Northern Peugeot Bandura to further professionalize your fleet with their updated commercial van range. The team at Northern Peugeot Bandura can help customize your fleet to your business needs. Stock arriving now, so secure your van and beat the rush before the end of financial year madness. Visit northernpeugeot.com.au or call 9119-9008. TNC Supply. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Welcome. Another episode of State of Our Football Nation coming up. Pakua Frimpong is my co-partner, co-host, supplier of all the technology on the planet and currently driving the ship without an official licence. That is dangerous stuff indeed. Pakua, welcome to uh, the program. How are you? Big week? I'm doing good, George. It's uh, been an exciting week of football again and... uh I'm looking forward to talk about it. And interestingly, the the thing that I want to know about is um, how excited were you when you saw some of the scores that emerged from the under twenty three competition? Absolutely, it was it was it's really promising considering that first game where it didn't go particularly Correct. well. Very um, tight result yeah, though, one nil yeah. to Vietnam. Yeah, I, I think maybe the boys maybe weren't. They hadn't clicked into that yep. mindset, yeah, which can happen early in tournaments. So Argentina at the World Cup, and but up those big these score lines were uh, phenomenal to see, and it's good to see the young players stepping up. Obviously, the opponents are at a different level, but it's not really about that. It's about developing, you know, good football acumen and your playing ability, and I think it's important for that. I thought the game against uh, Qatar that uh, the young the young boys uh, scored nine goals after falling behind in the opening seconds from an own goal, I thought to myself, now that I, you either drop your bundle or you pick up the stocks, understand how good you are and just get on with it. And I've got to say, young Rodriguez Borges from uh, Melbourne City, um, the young Adelaide boy, how good is he? I know he comes from great stock. I know he has super DNA, but he terrorised everything that was going on on the right-hand side of that field. And opened up so many scoring opportunities. And from your perspective, I know how much you enjoy when players attack the ball or yeah. attack the the, the defence. Uh, and every time he took the ball, he just went for it. Yeah, uh, he's a he's an incredible player. And I've been a big fan of him, you know, at his time at City. And I, I just want to see those kind of players progress. And I, I think doing that in on a, on a international stage is really important for their sure. development to build confidence and you get to take that back to you know your domestic competition maybe he's not playing as frequently as he would like but to get caught up for the national team and to do excel and do really really well that can only make your stocks rise and leave questions for the city team to be like should we play more i was going to say it's a balancing act isn't it do you let them play uh, do you give them the opportunity do you make them earn it, it i've always thought you have to earn it yeah and you and I are, agree that there is no age limit. If you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah. Yeah. And they're starting to really uh, show their skills. And what thrilled me was the manner of the win. They attacked. They went with verve. And we've heard cri- people criticise for for ages and ages and ages the young Australian national teams about how they lack endeavour, they lack excitement and they lack adventure. Well, all of those things are on show. Yeah, they were. And 
And that's what you want to see. We, we want to see that from the younger age groups to know that the, the pipeline to the Socceroos, we're going to have tremendous players available for us so we can have a World Cup better than the last World Cup and continue to excel as a nation in terms of the way we play football, our style of football and the, the football characters that we create who are not just uh, incredibly physical and, and athletic but also incredibly intelligent on the football field and make really smart decisions and we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, little step by step yeah, little gain there. And when we see that at a younger, the younger level, it's only promising things for the future of the stories. Um, now you do a lot of calling for Paramount Plus. It's been a very interesting year. year. You've been calling the A League Women's, the Liberty League, uh, back in competition after, of course, the Matilda matches. Uh, what have you made of last week's games? Uh, last week's games were interesting. We saw. I'm trying to think about the results. Uh, Hannah Wilkinson's back. Yeah, Hannah Wilkinson's back. But I, I think the biggest story is that Holly McNamara's back, who for me is one of the best. I know you get excited. Yeah. Yeah, I she, look at your face oh, when you mention no, McNamara. But, like, but I, I, I think that in football, there are wingers who are incredibly athletic yep. and eventually at a certain point, the athleticism, it will fade away. Sure. But intelligence to know which pass to make and to make your teammates better, that is something that Holly McNamara has at a really young age and I think she adds another dimension to Melbourne City's uh, attack in. They've they've looked a little bit depleted uh, while Cote Rojas is gone, but now yep. they're both back and it's it's phenomenal. And uh, we saw Sydney FC comfortably beat Western United as well. So West Sydney FC have you know they're almost certain to finish Premier, which would be the first time anyone's done that in the competition. So it's very exciting. Uh, a lot of interesting football news. We've noticed um, that uh, very very shortly we've got another special guest joining us. The head of the referees from Football Australia, his name is Nathan McGillney, will be joining us in just a moment, and we're thrilled to have him on board. But I just want to run past you. What did you make of the news that Johnny Aloisi is staying at Western United? Uh, I think it was expected. Yeah. Uh, I don't think. I think that when you when you make a decision about extending a coach or getting rid of them, you need to know if there are better options for them out there. And I sure. don't think Western United. I think they looked at the market and said there isn't a better coach available at the moment. So we need to stick with what we know and, and build from here. And and I and hopefully they can get back to last season's form and get back to where, you know, they've been. They've been really competitive side in their seasons. They've been in the competition and hopefully in the, the two-year extension, he can continue to do that. And the other thing at the Western United side or at the club is the uh, the advent of their women's team, which has been a, a couple of years in the making, and importantly, just how well it continues to play. Yeah, uh, the tough weekend for them losing to Sydney FC, but... Again, a very tight result, but, but, though. No, but, yeah, but also, it doesn't really matter. Like they've exceeded every expectation. If if somebody tells me Western United just miss out on finals or Western United make finals, it doesn't really matter because what they've done in their first season has has been exceptional and has exceeded every single expectation everybody else has set. And this is a great indicator of why you should have strong foundations before you build clubs. Because gotcha. when you have strong foundations with them having links to Calder, it allows this to flourish because you've got good connectivity with the players and the coach and it makes it so much easier to build when you've got a strong foundation. Uh, before we talk about uh, the number of teams that have put their hand up for the National Second Division, the number uh, everyone's talking about is 32 and that's uh, remarkable. 
Now we've got to see how it coagulates and how it fits and how it all comes together. But 32 clubs across Australia have put their hand up to be part of this national second division. Um, one of the things they're going to have to sort out is refereeing for the second yeah. division too. Yeah. Let's find out from the head of referees at Football Australia. Um, let's welcome Nathan McGill, who joins us um, via Zoom. Uh, Nathan, welcome. Thanks for having me, George. Our pleasure. It always is um, a, a real delight to get uh, anyone from Football Australia to talk to us about the game because it, it's evolving and and um, coalescing at different rates at different levels. What's the what What's the news mean to you as the head of referees? You have an enormous responsibility to make sure that, one, we promote the sort of culture that allows the next generation of youngsters, that is, young referees, to come through, male and female. And does this give you a new pathway where you can, again, test the waters and bring through talent in a slightly different fashion? Absolutely, George. I think any time new football competitions become available... um, we look at how we can, you know, formulate pathways for match officials to get more exposure before heading into, you know, past the NPL mark into professional football. So um, the news around 32 teams being interested, for instance, in the national second tier is an exciting time for Australian football. Um, And our referees are probably the most excited because now it opens up a new avenue to be exposed to, to quality football outside of their NPL competitions but then also show their wares to try and crack into the professional system as well. I was just going to say, I'm glad you touched on that um, because it's a, it's a job as well um, for, for, for the better referees. We saw Sean Evans, for example, notch up 151 games or 150 the other day. Uh, and I, a couple of things I, in that game that I thought were really interesting, we'll run through them. But does a, a national second additional, uh, sorry, does the arrival of a national second tier mean more opportunities for more refereeing for more referees to actually um, officiate in games, which means they can instead of being available for one or two games a week, they might have to be available for four or five. Yeah, I think that's a great question, George, because I'm not sure we've got the the blueprint just yet to know exactly what it looks like. Sure, sure. We're only just pushing it up there for observation and conversation. No, no, and I think it's it's you know probably presents two two opportunities for us. It's one to give more of our experienced referees in the A League more match minutes because there is only just as as, just as we do with players. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Boosting match minutes is a key priority of our department um, to build experience and to build. You know, every game brings a different situation, so that that's a good learning. You can only learn uh, during a match as opposed to just training minutes. Uh, but the other opportunities that it presents too is we've got a steady flow of talented match officials coming through from the member federations who are do- doing a great job in recruiting and then retaining them and pushing them through to the top tier of men's and women's NPL, but these competitions then produce not only, you know, another condensed level of football, so, uh, you know, obviously less teams means um, more competition uh, in the sense of competitive football, but then also the ability to referee under pressure, to travel, to get used to different conditions outside of their home centre. So, um, as I said, very exciting times. We're we're in the process of um, looking to launch a refreshed pathway in the next couple of weeks with our refereeing cohort 
um, which includes some exciting initiatives, which we hope will um, refresh the refereeing pathway. How fantastic. Um, I, I hope we get a chance to have a discussion about that too when you roll them out. Um, let me go back to Sean Evans. I was at Amy Park. Uh, it was the Melbourne City game against, uh, was it um, uh, was it MacArthur? Sydney, uh, I believe. Oh, Sydney. Sorry, you're right. Sydney FC. And uh, Sean had to run off the field. Apparently, he had been told that that something was required. He had to have a look. He ran off the field, went to the sideline, checked the monitor, and then came back onto the field and offered up a yellow card to one of the players. It might have been Aidan O'Neill. Now, we're seeing more subtle shifts. Uh, we're seeing in the uh, English Premier League, of course, uh, a number of uh, you know different ways of officiating. We saw an English referee uh, in a very tough game in, a, in an edgy derby, uh, hand out a number of yellow cards, but before they did that, they offered up a red card, and then they offered up the yellow cards, and then they were called to the sideline to review the red card, only to discover that the, re- the red card was possibly too harsh a decision, so they waved the red card away and gave the player a yellow card. You must be sitting there thinking to yourself, now that's novel, that's new. Um, are we are we constantly reviewing? And I'm, when I say the we, is it you at the top end of the tree in that supervisor in that supervisory capacity, always reviewing the? And I know you review all the matches, but you're now even reviewing the way they handle and hand out decisions. Look, to be honest, George, I'm lucky in the sense that we've got a coaching team that does the match review, and and more of my role is around you know, our delivery, how we can enhance the process, how we deliver um, strong communication. So yep. in, in my role, it is it is a unique role in the sense that, yes, we do look at how the VAR is implemented. We have a look at how that would be communicated. Uh, obviously, something that we're quite um, big believer in is obviously working with FIFA to deliver live communications to the fans um, at home and in the stadium. So as part of that, that's going to take a little bit of pressure off the the decision-making process because the referees will be articulating their decisions as they happen. Um, we we believe, well, progress was first shown in the Club World Cup recently in Morocco. We believe that, um, well, from the discussions I've had with FIFA, the pilot or the first, first wave of trials has been deemed a success and we're looking forward to rolling out the next phase um, as soon as practically possible. So, but definitely something we look at, George. And I think um, every time I watch a game and see something a little bit different, the first thought is, "This is going to be fun to try and explain <laughs> this from to global leagues." Well, Nathan, you you spoke about it just before, but in terms of obviously the review system with the referees, uh, I think a lot of fans would know. But what is what does that actually entail in terms of is it like one on one or is it like obviously you've got that coaching team? How does that kind of actually work? The the reviewing of uh, of referees after a game? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something that we refined this year to become more a one-on-one uh, basis with each match official. That's the referee and both assistant referees uh, in the VAR from each match to, to review their roles in the, in the match. So as part of that, every one of our coaching team of um, four part-time coaches, they watch every game. Uh, splits it up across the weekend. Everyone watches both men's and women's. 
So it's the same coaching process for both our leagues because we believe in driving the same development with all of our match officials. Um, so they'll watch their game. They'll take some notes. There's someone who data codes the game for us, whether it's a correct free kick or an incorrect yellow card or an incorrect red card. That builds a base of video clips and statistics from each performance. And then the coach meets with that match official um, on a Monday or a Tuesday, depending on the date of their game over the weekend. And they go through and they just they have a discussion between both parties. So the coach will lead it from um, from their perspective, but then the match official who would reflect on their performance goes, I think I could have improved here. I actually think I did really well here. So it becomes a actually a coaching conversation, which is very different to when I say came through the system, which was very much an assessment based. You'd have someone sitting there saying, um, this is what you did right and this is what you did wrong. We're starting to evolve that. No different to coaching any other athlete. Um, it, it's got to be an open dialogue and it's got to be a discussion to get the best out of our athletes. So what you're saying is it's more than ever before, it's a to and fro instead of, you know, the teacher and the pupil. Yeah, very much so, George, because I think the the important part is the referees have the feeling on the ground. Yep. They're the ones who know why they, you know, the, the skill in refereeing, yep. particularly in, in professional football, is when to give a yellow card, when not to give a yellow card, when to impose yourself and when to let the game flow. So obviously... By dissecting that with the referees, we understand why they do things. And when we understand why, we can prescribe either a way to solve it or to maintain that behaviour. So definitely the discussion is critical in that conversation. What about thresholds? We've seen some major changes to the thresholds in the game in the EPL. Two years ago and and last year, to get a penalty or a handball was almost de rigueur. Uh, this year, not so much. We're, we're seeing a lot of handballs. Uh, again, some that may well have been given um, uh, a couple of years ago uh, and some that were definitely would have been given last year. But now they're saying, no, no, wasn't enough there. Let's play on. So mm. talking thresholds, for example, are we constantly looking at that in, in the game at A-League level, both men's and women's in Australia? Is that part of what you do in the supervisory capacity each and every week? Yeah, so each week, George, I, I watch every 11 matches per week, both yep. across the men's and women's, so I, I watch everything, wow. um, which is the great part of the job, getting to watch a lot of football. <laughs> um, but by by Monday, we're ready to, to make some decisions. But, yeah, threshold is, is the word that we constantly talk about, you know, the expectation of the fans versus enforcing the laws of the games consistently. Um, we spoke a lot at the beginning of the year about protecting player safety and making sure skillful yes. players were being yes. looked after, which ultimately has seen a shift in the way that red cards had been given um, for, for lunging challenges and those of a studs-up to quote um, what's screamed mostly on the field at the referees, those type of challenges have been heavily policed, uh, which was an agreement we struck with the clubs, the APL and the referees department, which was critical. But we understand there's going to be times that we fall below that threshold. And I think there's times where also from our coaching team and myself, we can be a little bit clearer as well. So it's, it's like any team, it's like any club, as the season goes, you evolve and, and you talk and you discuss and you see what the reaction is like and you understand um, not only what our perspective is, what the club's perspective is, but then you've also got to take into consideration professionally what the fans expect within the game because, with you know, that's the beauty of football. It's it's a fan-driven sport. Well, Nathan, it's really interesting you speak of that, but in terms of 
the pathway for, for referees because obviously, you know, it's great whether we have on the top level that there's those models there to ensure that those referees are constantly getting better. But how does that affect the obviously like lower tiers and in in terms of like the MPL referees and even state league referees that we're constantly having a pathway? Is it the model kind of the same for everybody throughout or is that something that you guys are looking at doing so it's more streamlined that when people do get to working in the A-Leagues, they've kind of they're, already... They're as well-prepared as possible. They're well-prepared mm, and things like mm, that. Good question. Yeah, it's a great question because I think, you know, when you talk, look at the Australian football landscape, there's there's varying competitions across the country, whether you're in Victoria, New yep. South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, where I'm based, WA, et cetera, Tassie. Um, there, there's varying different competitions, very different opportunities. There's obviously different levels of depth and registered numbers across each of those centres. One of the things we're trying to look at with the the refresh of the national pathway is to have a centralised, um, centralised, you know, setup that's within our department that can provide a consistent mechanic for coaching and developing the best young talent in Australia. Um, and obviously providing that consistent messaging, which means having more access to our coaching staff, to myself, having, you know, more direction from what we're setting as the, the threshold, as George said. So, um, Certainly something we're conscious of, and I think it's been, you know, COVID had that impact where a lot of pathway programs shut down over that time, and now we're starting to see um, those kick back off again. So now it's about, yeah, leveraging that and using every opportunity we can, um, not only for player development, but then obviously using those for ref development and how we can use technology um, to drive, you know, we've obviously most games now filmed around the NPL, Um We've got access to every NPL match in the country in yeah, our database, which is, which is fully data clipped for me. So in the sense that if someone said to me there's an emerging referee in um, Victoria and you need to see that referee, three clicks later I've got it on my phone and I can see um, the referee in action from an NPL match, men's or women's. Isn't that fantastic that you've got te- technology now taking us to another level and giving us a chance to streamline so many things and as we, we talk about players, we want consistency from them. Referees, of course, you are demanding that because we've got a Women's World Cup coming up. Uh, anything special in the wind with that, uh, with that in mind? By the way, we're talking to the head of referees from Football Australia, Nathan McGill, and we thank him very much for joining us once again. Um, World Cup, Women's World Cup getting closer and closer, and the smile on Pakur Frimpong's face just gets broader and broader, Nathan. Look, it's a very, very exciting time for Australian football. Um, obviously, the Combank Matildas are extremely successful um, at the moment, doing really well in the Cup of Nations tournament. But equally, our, our match officials are also performing very, very strongly um, in the lead-up to the Women's World Cup. We've got a number of our um, contracted match officials from the A-League men's and A-League women's heading to that um, tournament now. Since we last spoke, we've got Kate Jakowitz, Casey Rybelt, Joanna Kashaktis, me, Sook Park, Anna-Marie Kylie from New Zealand and Sarah Jones. Wow. So a large cohort from our competitions representing um, both nations um, at the tournament, which for us it's our largest ever cohort selected for a Women's World Cup. And equally we're really excited about how we're going to help build them up to be ready for that tournament. Nathan, in terms of like those names that you've just mentioned, how did that the selection process go up? Do do you uh, do you guys recommend them to to FIFA or do FIFA just select them? Like, how does that selection process actually work? 
look, we could probably talk about the selection process, I think, for a couple of hours. <laughs> it's that. Um, but in a, in a uh, quite a good summary, I would say that it, it's obviously a lot through the AFC pathway because it's continental football. We nominate um, four female referees and four female assistant referees to FIFA every year who are the best performers in the Australian um, National League competitions. Um, Kate, Casey uh, and Joanna also officiate on the men's league as well as part of their World Cup preparation. But they then go into you know continental championships such as the Women's Asian Cup, uh, under-19s, under-17s tournaments, and they compete against Asia's best referees. And from that uh, list, Asia would then shortlist their cohort to go to FIFA. And then the, the particularly these women have been through a number of selection hurdles over the last three years. So under-17s, under-20s, um, things like the recent uh, Revise uh, Romello Cup in France um, and then also the playoff tournament recently in New Zealand all um, formulate a selection process. So at the end of all of that, uh, our, our match officials have performed strongly enough to get the nod from FIFA. Yeah, you just said something really interesting about the th- like three years like so, because oh, in my mind, I, naively, I was like, oh, probably like a year out and a year and a bit out, they they probably start picking these referees, but no, but they're no. really like working that process like three, four years out from the tournament. Yeah, so the, the men's World Cup, um, the men, for instance, if in a in a normal sort of World Cup cycle, the Asian Cup would be run in the next three months for the men's. The World Cup would have finished in June normally, so within that twelve month cycle. AFC would pick their shortlist and we would start the cycle now for the 2026 World Cup as soon as pretty much now. Wow. So that would be a three-year process for both male and female to get ready for the next World Cup cycle. And once the the whistle finishes uh, at the final in Sydney at the Women's World Cup, we will then be starting to think about our FIFA list for 2024 and who we need to put on now for a 2031 World World Cup tilt. So that's how far ahead you're planning for the for the big major tournaments and just what it also means for each and every referee. It means they're on watch. You're you're monitoring their performances and just as we watch players to see how consistently good they are, um, the same applies in the rationale to discover who are the best referees and how consistent they are. Uh, tell me something, uh, Nathan. Does it give you yep. a big thrill to see the work, the consistency of work uh, that's coming out of the EPL with uh, young Jared Gillett? Look, um, I think Jared Jared was a superstar here in Australia as a referee, if, if you can use that term. And no, no, you can. Best, you can. And he, he was one of our best for a long period. Um, and I, I caught up with Jared recently when I was invited over to spend a week with the Premier League um, in January to see how their operations work from a men's and female uh, women's pathway perspective. Yeah, um, and we caught up for a, um, a quick bite to eat, and you know it's unbelievable to think not that long ago he's here refereeing in the A League, to now refereeing um, arguably the, one of the world's best leagues yeah. now. Yeah. So yeah, seeing just what he's been able to achieve, he also got added to the English FIFA list this year, one of two referees ever in the world to be added to two international lists from two different countries. Uh, Ali Reza Fagani, who's yes. now on the Australian match official list, 
are the two. So effectively, we've imported and exported a match <laughs> official to, to the list. So Australia's played a part in both of those examples of history. But yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that it shows all of our group, George, that um, Australian football is is one avenue, but then you've also got the avenue to go and referee if you're good enough in the world's best leagues. Now, I, I don't think there's anything more exciting knowing that there are no limits or no, no boundaries or no borders, especially in, in this increasingly global world of ours. Uh, the world game, if you, if you aspire and want to be the very best, uh, the idea that, yes, you can... Uh, fills me with a great deal of uh, excitement. I, I, I wish him continued success, and I would like to think that there are a whole bundle of young men and women who would also like to aspire and to follow in Jared's footpath. Well, I think think there is. There's so many, I think we're now um, well over eleven thousand registered refs across the country. Wow, we're on a mission to to increase that, but. Obviously, um, you know, the, one of the great parts of this job is when you get to go to community football as well as the, at the other end of the scale and see people do it and giving back to the game and contributing to uh, young participants' experience by being a ref on on the day. So I think, you know, I, I'm pretty lucky. There's a lot of grounds around the corner from my house and sort of Sunday mornings there's an opportunity to go and um, see young referees in action, which is actually as exciting as watching those 11 games each week. Have we given enough parents enough advice about, you know, keeping it to themselves and not expressing themselves in, in a manner that's untoward? Or is that well, something we said, still have to break down? As a parent of a young boy about to embark <laughs> on his sporting journey, I, I think we could do, we're going to, we're looking to do more, always yep. looking to do more education. Um, but I think one of the things that, um, it is quite challenging is as, you know, new parents come into the system and, as I said, we're embarking on that journey ourselves, trying to regulate the difference between excitement for your child and, yep. and excitement um, at somebody else is probably going to be our challenge too, right, coming yep. from a Touché. heavily sport, heavily sporting family. So I don't want to pass judgment on those parents until <laughs> I've, I've learned to walk in those shoes, but certainly it's something we've got to look to do is provide more education and more support to clubs, Um in a club refereeing sense and, and education for parents to make sure they know um, what the referee is doing as part of their role. Uh, Nathan McGill has been our special guest on FNR's first half hour, the state of our football nation, uh, head of referees, Football Australia. Uh, Rebecca, by the way, would you please thank her? She gave me 15 minutes with you. Um, we've, we've overstepped the mark, but thank you so very much, Nathan. We wish you continued success. Good luck with the upcoming, uh, you know, pathways for our young referees and uh, keep us uh, informed about the next initiatives that you're about to roll out, okay? No worries. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure. Nathan McGill joining us on FNR. We're going to take a short break. Another special guest and in the words of Pakur Frimpong, a seriously talented player who's given her all for her team for a number of years, not just this year. Uh, more about that in just a moment. 